0: Hey there, I'm Heather Mulder, a former Amlaw 100 partner who, just five years into my legal career, found myself questioning why I work so hard to barely be squeezing life in? So that I wouldn't become yet another attorney burnout statistic, I decided to redefine success on my terms from the inside out, which is what enabled me to build a profitable legal practice while navigating my way through the challenges of two kids and two bed rests, the 2008 financial crisis, and a battle with breast cancer. What I learned is that you can build a successful legal career without sacrificing your health or personal happiness, and I'm on a mission to help you do exactly that. Join me each week for practical, unfiltered advice on how to successfully navigate the challenging legal market and Succeed in both law and life. This is the Life in Law Podcast. Welcome to the Life in Law Podcast. This is your host, Heather Mulder. And today I have guest Brian Moskowitz. He is managing director and talent advisor of Kinzac Group. And Kinzac Group is a boutique talent agency and search firm that matches what they say are uncommon lawyers with uncommon law firms. Welcome, Brian. Thank
1: you, Heather. Pleasure to be here.
0: So I understand that you are a recovering attorney like me. You practice law for a very long time. So why don't you just give us a little bit more about who you are, what you do, and your background and how you got to where you are now?
1: I would love to. So I am definitely a recovering uh, attorney. Uh, I practiced and left three times. So uh, the first time, uh, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and I practiced on Court Street for about nine years. Uh, up until 9 11. And then after 9 11, my uh, family, uh, myself decided to move to South Florida. So that was the first time I stopped practicing law. Uh, moved down to South Florida, and that's when I first got into recruiting. I opened up a uh, search firm placing legal technology sales reps uh, for about four or five years. Um, then went through a divorce, uh, which then prompted me to get back into the practice of law. because I knew I could make a steady good paycheck, right? You know, building those hours. And I went and did that for probably a good six, seven years when I then left a second time, this time to go into attorney coaching and training. I had a business called Attorney Revolution. Uh, I took all my you know years of practicing law and my years of working with Tony Robbins as one of his trainers, and I sort of combined that together. and it was uh, the slogan was, uh, "Earn more, work, less be fulfilled." You know we did okay. seminars, board breaks, coaching, loved it. Um, and then I got recruited. I got recruited into big law. Uh, you know, uh, coming out of Brooklyn Law School and the streets of Brooklyn, big law had always thumbed their nose at me. Wanted nothing to do with me. And I'm like, oh wow, you want me now, huh? Okay. <laughs> so I jumped at it. Went into big law, and I realized that uh, big law is great for some, just not for me. You know, uh, I need more of that entrepreneurial, the autonomy, uh, do what I want. Especially after all my these years on my own. Mm -hmm. And then so at the beginning of COVID, maybe six months into the COVID and and lockdowns, I said, that's it. I've had it, Uh, submitted my uh, resignation for the partnership. And I said, back to recruiting. And uh, here I am today, putting deals together instead of tearing families apart. So I did uh, (laughs) marital, high-end divorce cases. So uh, happier to be on this side.
0: Wow. Okay. So, Interesting story. Uh, I don't know that I've heard all that many cases where people kind of come and go and come and go <laughs> into the law. I know when I left after 18 years, I was like, yeah, no, I'm not doing this anymore. And I remember my husband even saying, well, don't shut it off. You never know. And I'm like, no, honey, I'm done. I know I'm done. I'm I, Even if this doesn't work out, I'll find something else. I don't think I'll ever practice law again. And I'm pretty sure that was correct <laughs> so Many it, years later or so it,
1: the first two times I left wasn't because uh, I wasn't happy with the law and it wasn't working out right first right. time uh, 9/11 moved to Florida not admitted right so again wasn't gonna practice not that I didn't love what I was doing um, the second time I, I saw a greater need for my skill sets in training and coaching than another divorce attorney right I could refer you uh-huh. to you know ten divorce attorneys who are just as good as me if not better within a 15 minute drive in my office, but I didn't think there was anyone who could do what I could do. Right. right. It wasn't until after the the big law where I was just burnt out at that point. And that's mm. when I said, that is it. And, and then looking back, you know, I could see the, the red flags, mm-hmm. but I was too busy living it and uh, as a single dad raising my family. So, yeah.
0: And I think that's a good segue into into our, our meatier topic of the day, which is you know you talk about um, you were in it, you were too busy living it to realize you know the red flags and to to see them. I think we all get caught up in that at least at some point in our careers, and especially lawyers do that yes. um, because of the way because of the way we work. And and from what I've seen, big law's always always had this issue, but it's trickling down into medium sized and other law firms more and more as well, at least from what I'm hearing from people and the people that reach out to me. And so it's also with COVID and everything that's been going on, it feels like the, the legal market has really been disrupted more than I think a lot of people expected. And not just from the sense of we have more work and how work is done, but there's a lot more movement. There's a lot of people moving around. Tell us what you're seeing, given the role you play now.
1: So there has definitely been uh, more movement than I think ever in the past two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a company called Leopard Solution, which you know keeps track uh, of all this data. And uh, I think as of today, I just looked today. Just in South Florida alone, there were 758 openings. You know, California had over wow. 2,000. Uh, New York City itself over a thousand. Texas was in the 600 range. So there are openings. Mm -hmm. Because of the volume and the amount of work that's available. Whether you know the work couldn't be done because of COVID or things are not moving quicker and there's more deals to be made. I don't really know those answers. That's not where I'm focusing, but there's definitely a need for more attorneys. Mm -hmm. And it's like the it's like reverse musical chairs, right? There's enough chairs, but not enough bodies to sit in them. Mm -hmm. Let's Mm -hmm. say there's a you know hundred openings for a fourth to sixth year. Uh, corporate associate in New York, there's only 70 attorneys for that position. And I mean, those are, <laughs> numbers are low, but that's the way it works, right? So right. everyone's grabbing from everybody else and the money, right? Money is raining down on the associates, um, on lateral partners. Um, I think entry level now at the big firms is 215, right? Two hundred
0: fifteen thousand. crazy. I, I'm sorry. That's crazy.
1: <laughs> I was making $37,000 uh, when I first got out of law school. Uh, when i worked for 6 months before opening my own firm it's uh, yeah. it is it is crazy good word but definitely lots of movement and uh money has uh, i believe been a a big factor um mm-hmm. in the movement you know where you are you are firm they can only give you so much of a raise or an increase or a bump unless you're originating lots of business mm-hmm. but if you just go next door right they're going to bring you in and boom give you a nice increase so when one attorney sees another do that, then they go do that. Then the next right. guy does that. And it just keeps increasing. Uh, and law firms had profits through the roof the past two years. Mm-hmm. Right? Revenues were up, profits were up, either because expenses were down or for whatever reason. But there was a lot of money uh, in the market.
0: Yeah. And part of the problem with that money, though, is com- comes like this huge pressure on mm-hmm. these associates, especially this is why I think it's especially crazy. Um, the pressure to deliver and to be on all the time is just getting to be a bit uns- it was already unsustainable in a right. lot of big law firms prior to this. Now it's gotten even worse. And as I said, trickling down into other, you know, firms that are good sized firms have not considered big law. I'm curious to know, you know, everybody says culture is such a big deal. There are always things that people are looking for, but what are really the things that associates who are moving around caring about at the end of the day when they're making their decisions?
1: So uh, culture is important. Uh, it, it depends how each individual defines culture, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the, you know, the foosball table or, you know, the, the, the beer in the you know cafeteria during lunch. Um, but I do think at the end of the day, when we're talking about the, the AMLA firms, it is money. Right, mm-hmm. the attorneys who are working at the AM law firms, the big firms, they went to the schools they went to for a reason, got the grades they went to for a reason, got these jobs for a reason, and mm-hmm. they are on a mission, right? And so yeah, the, you know, a couple of the firms may have a little different culture, meaning a little more autonomy here, a little few, uh, maybe less billable hours here, uh, a more flexible work from home or office policy here. But when you compare it all, I still do see at the big firms where the dollars um, are the uh, the driving factor for most. Right now, there are uh, outliers or you know others who money just isn't the most uh, critical factor for them, and mm-hmm. they'll look for other important things. You know, autonomy. Right, you want the freedom to do what you want. Um, uh, flexibility. You know, can I work from home? The office I want to be able to pick and choose. Training, mentorship is big right okay. you know don't just you know take the work I give you, mark it up in red, and give it back to me you know sit down, talk to me, explain it to me, um, teach me how to do a deposition teach me how to you know mark up this contract you know so real training and mentorship, recognition, uh, being treated with respect right you know you have those partners who right. uh, yell and scream right um, and then work life balance which again means different things for different people and if we talk about different generations, I was just part mm. of a conference this past week where there was a whole session on uh, Gen Z, uh-huh. right? And the oldest Gen Z right now is uh, 25, turning 25. And by 2030, there'll be about 30% of the workforce. Mm. That's only in seven and a half years from now. And the number one thing they look for, right? When they get a job offer, what excites them the most are mental health days, OK, so they are so big on mental health. They are huge on diversity and inclusion. They wear that mm-hmm. as a badge of honor. There's this huge sense of belonging. Uh, the third piece that I remember from the, that presentation, a higher purpose. They mm-hmm. want to buy from people with a higher purpose. They want to work for firms and companies with a higher purpose. So if I am doing this deal, right? if I'm litigating this case, what's the bigger picture? Who is this mm-hmm. benefiting? Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with Gen Z coming up, that's what you have to look out for. Mental health days, sense of belonging, you know, diversity, and inclusion, acting on it, not just talking about it. Mm -hmm. And then what's the bigger picture here? You know, why am I coming to work every day to do this? Right. Who is it benefiting? What's the higher purpose that's uh, benefiting from my labor?
0: So for them, do they care as much about the money or is the money? Okay, they don't. So those things trump the money then?
1: Absolutely for them. And again, I I forget the uh, individual's name, but he's he's known as a Gen Z expert. He's a professor. um, And his data points were, you know, when they get the job offers, the first thing they're excited about are the mental health days. Yes, money's good (laughs) and those things, right? But these are the three priorities, right? They want in their life, uh, in their social life, um, in their, their shopping, so I think their time where they're working. And the biggest influence in their life are their peers. Right. Mm. If their peer says, hey, you should work at this law firm, that is going to carry much more weight than what anybody else tells them. And vice versa. If if someone says, you know what, you never want to work there, they will uh, take that to the bank because of the social credibility.
0: What I find interesting about that is it's so – it doesn't – that generation, at least what you're telling me, and I've heard this about them as well – they don't fit into the mold of the typical lawyer and where law firms have been going and what we've been doing.
1: They and do not.
0: although there are not enough of them yet in the legal workforce because they're, you know, young, <laughs> um, over the next 10, 20 years, they will become a much bigger portion of the legal workforce. And I'll be curious to see how that might change law firms and the way law firms do things. Because something has to walk us back from this ledge we've put ourselves on. It's not sustainable. We can't just keep raising salaries and raise expectations and billing hours and expect everything to work out. Um, And I'm not one of those people who believes that law firms are evil or the people who run them are evil. I mean, it's complicated and nuanced, and there's a lot of stuff that's going on there. We've just fallen, I think, into this trap of, not really wanting to get in there and solve the difficult problems, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Because it's difficult, it's nuanced, it's not, there is no one clear answer. And it's going to, I think, require firms to really step back and start trying out different things and seeing what does and does not work, which we're not good at doing. We want to have, no, okay, here's my plan, it's going to work, and I'm going to do it. Um, But I think perhaps that's, that generation will be almost a saving grace <laughs> that we need within this industry. What do, you, what do you think when I say that?
1: So I agree, but I, I want to jump back. And uh, so if anybody wants to fact check me, I just pulled up my notes. The gentleman's name is Mark Beal, B-E-A-L. And he's the one who was giving the presentation on effectively engaging with Generation Z. They don't want to be managed. They want to be engaged with. Mm-hmm. Um, so to your point, uh, I absolutely agree. I see this changing in one of two ways. One, as they do get into the workforce, right, either the ones who go the path of big law will not be those typical Gen Zs who abide by, right, the mental right. health, the higher purpose, uh, autonomy, et cetera. Because again, they have their path and their higher purpose, which may be different. Uh-huh. But let's say, you know, the ones that do are the typical average Gen Z and they have those beliefs. Um, the powers that be now, the management um, will either change the way they're running their firm or they will not have the attorneys to run the firm, right? They will Mm. not have the worker bees, right? Right. There just won't be enough bodies to go around. So they'll have to change that way. Or if they uh, offshore or to use contract attorneys or they merge, whatever they do, the second way is eventually when the Gen Z becomes in charge, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't see it taking. That long, I think there will be a a, a a a shift before then because I don't see how the law firms are going to work if the uh, de- the gen Z generation of attorneys are going to be the same as uh, Mark Beale was talking about in his presentation
0: right well, and I would argue there are a fair amount of folks in the two uh, decades ahead of you know, Non Gen Z, but there there's a more than I think than people realize of attorneys out there who are really questioning and saying, okay, we can't keep this up because they're reaching their breaking point and they have reached their breaking point. And the, you know, we're starting to talk about this a lot more. We've been talking about this, but you're actually starting to see more people realize, okay, something's got to change and admit it has to change. They haven't. They haven't stepped into that. what are we gonna do about it yet? but they're at least starting to more realistically talk about it mm-hmm. um and I think there's a fair and you know i'm a I'm a Gen X and there's a fair amount of us who are like, yeah no, like family's more important, we need more balance um And I have several clients like that, one of whom I can think of. She's actually in firm management and trying to really implement more of this type of thing because she sees, like, this is just not sustainable. And she's made these choices for herself, and she wants to allow for other attorneys to make more of these choices as well. So my my hope is that it happens earlier. But, you know, in the meantime, (laughs) what do we do, right? So here's something I'm hearing a lot from clients. And these are specifically employment law and health healthcare clients, like in those industries. They're crazy busy. It does not look like the work is going to let up anytime soon. And there are not enough bodies out there that do the law that they need. (laughs) And they're in a quandary. They don't want to work as much as they are. They need to be able to grow a team. And yet there's only so many people out there, right? So What would you say to them? What can and should they be doing to find good help and then be able to retain them?
1: So uh, one out-of-the-box solution, uh, which I've seen, and there's been a few articles on law.com. I even posted about this at some point. Uh, The firms who can't find the one or two attorneys, excuse me, attorneys they need to fill open positions will go and acquire a small firm, right? Mm. Or merge with a firm that has the capabilities and the bandwidth to pick up some slack, right? So that is one option right there, right? Uh, it's okay. a bit out of the box thinking, but I've seen that happen. And actually, I just did a three-way merger uh, between a New York City firm uh, and two small South Florida firms. Okay. Um, but, but more specifically to your question is expanding the pie, right? Expanding the pool of where you're looking. Mm. And it, it ties in with what you said before, where the medium-sized firms can't keep up. So when the the large firms uh, can no longer poach from each other because there's just not enough attorneys available, where do they go? They can't look up anymore. They have to take a step, not down, but look at the medium-sized firms. Mm-hmm. So they're going to look there and they're going to recruit out attorneys who they may not have looked at in the past and recruit those to big okay. law, right? They'll look at schools they may not have looked at in the past. They'll look um, to... Grades and skill sets, and I've looked at in the past, but they're expanding the pie, right? The pool okay. of candidates where they're looking. So now, what are the medium-sized firms doing, right? They're going to these smaller-sized firms, right? And they're pulling attorneys out of there. And now, what are the smaller-sized uh, firms doing? Going to solos and gobbling them up and merging and acquiring. So interesting. Uh, I think everybody along the spectrum is having difficulty, but I think it's the hardest um, for the solo small firm right? Mm-hmm. To some extent, one, they don't have the money. And two, just no one is looking to go there at this point because you can move up the food chain, right? So-
0: Do you see at all an appetite for associates who are looking, having a willingness to take less money so long as they are getting certain specific things in their new firm or- absolutely. You know, Okay,
1: there is a market for any attorney who is looking, right? Mm-hmm. And there is a market for those attorneys who may not um, want the top dollar. There will be a a, uh, a consistent market for them, right? Whether it's at the same level, the same big law firms, um, but it'll be towards the lower part of the MLA two hundred. Mm-hmm. If you want that flexibility, the less billable hours, you know, being able to log off on Friday and come back on Monday. Mm -hmm. You'll get that more in the boutiques and medium-sized firms. So if you are an AMLAW attorney um, who is good at what you do and you want to take a step back financially, there are definitely opportunities out there um, for you.
0: And what would you say to those firms? How do they market themselves to find those attorneys and the right attorneys? Because one of the things I hear a lot from my clients who are in that position, who are looking for people, is they want to ensure they're not just settling for somebody who's not very good um, and is being pushed out or not, you know, not interested in those positions because they're not as good. They want top talent, right? Or people who at least have certain skill levels. But to be able to get those people, how do they get them without the money, right? So what – what can they do, A, to identify the right candidates, if you have any tips for that, and then B, what is it that they need to make sure they have and are accentuating to be more attractive to these people?
1: The easy answer is to hire me, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's the easy answer. But putting that aside, um, so where are you going to find these attorneys? Um, it's not going to be job postings, right? Mm-hmm. You know. So what I have found success in Uh, LinkedIn, you know, Uh communicate, post, engage. Um, You need to speak to the attorneys, right? If you're looking for someone who you are considering going after, right, to leave that big firm, one, you have to find a way to approach them. And, Uh you know, whether uh, I doubt you're going to email them directly at their firm, maybe you'll do it over LinkedIn or some other platform. But then to your point of they don't want to find someone who is being pushed out and mm-hmm. who is good at what they do, it's your due diligence, right? You know, there's a company called Decipher, which does all these background, inve- I say background investigations, but will go through the attorney's background to make sure they are who they say they are. Do mm-hmm. your reference checks. Not only the reference checks the attorney gives you, but do the backdoor ones call the people that they've worked with, right? Mm-hmm. To make sure they are what they are, right? So want to track them again, you just need to look anywhere and everywhere, get involved in bar associations, go to the conventions, Mm. you know, where do they hang out? But then it's having that conversation, really drilling down, being able to ask the right questions, right, the right interview Mm. questions, to make sure you get past the BS, right. Um, And just to check the box, you know, okay, where'd you work? What did you do? You know, if they say that they were uh, head trial attorney, Right. Well, they say they were part of the trial team, you know, for 10 jury verdicts and employment litigation. Okay, what does that mean? Right. Did you, you know, cross-examine witnesses? Did you give the opening? You know, were you there to hand the uh, trial attorney the brief when he asked for it? You Mm -hmm. know, so you really need to drill down and ask the questions. So.
0: Yeah. So what I hear you saying is you start asking the typical questions and then based on their answers, you dig deeper and deeper and start having a lengthier conversation to get a real idea about and gut kind of intuitive feeling, which we usually can get if we ask the right questions in these interviews around, okay, what is your knowledge? What is your skill set? What, you know, um, you can't always get everything out of that. But I do find having – participated in interviews (laughs) that with a fellow partners back when I was practicing that sometimes people just do not know how to ask good questions. And it's crazy. It's like, how can you even make a a decision on whether you like this person or not based on the two or three questions you ask them that are just top level, surface level crappy questions, you know? So, okay, so that's really good. Now what about So let me just
1: I want to jump into that one. So Mm -hmm. it's not only the the crappy questions, it's if you have three people you know, who'll be interviewing mm-hmm. the candidate, they, they're they all looking for something different, right? Yeah. So I'm asking questions about A, you're asking questions about B, someone else is asking questions about C, because that's what we think the position entails. Right. And then they all get together and nobody knows what's going on. Right. So, you know, everybody needs to know exactly what you're looking for, right? Hand out the requirements. This is what right. we want. These are the must-haves. These are the like-to-haves. These are the must-not-haves. Yep. And everyone interviews on the same thing, then you have a scorecard, right? Uh Where you number, you you rate them on a scale of five to 10, right? Or an A, B, C, D, you know, F. And then you compare notes that way and you weight things differently. A must have is weighted differently than a like to have, right? Right. So again, it's consistency, everyone on the same page, same process every time.
0: Yeah. And I think that also goes, I think some of these larger firms can be really bad about just finding bodies to interview at least that was my experience. <laughs> and so there was no real coordination. You were just asked to interview somebody. They gave you your their resume. You had a couple minutes to look at it. You'd go in. You'd talk to them. You'd ask whatever questions you came up with without talking to anybody. And then you told them your thoughts afterwards. That is definitively not the right way to interview people.
1: <laughs> exactly. That. And so I, to your point, when I was interviewing with the big law firm, they were pulling people out of the hallway to talk to me. Yeah. Right. Again, you have everybody needs to be on the same page. They need to know exactly what they're looking for, um, what the requirements are, how it's being measured, uh, and then compare notes after that.
0: Yeah. And just doing that simple thing is automatically going to give you so much more information and better information. You're going to make a much better decision on your candidate and have a much better idea as to whether they're going to fit in and be the right fit for you. It's just going to be so much more likely to work out in the long term doing that. And it's not that hard to do. So on the flip side, what would you say to an attorney who's looking at those kind of positions? What should they be looking at and for to ensure they're making the right decision when they're choosing who to go with?
1: So it'll be different with every attorney, right? Because everybody, um, from my time with you know Tony Robbins, everybody has different needs, Right. Right. Some prioritize significance, which may mean uh, compensation, which may mean title, which may mean you know the location and size of their office, right? Which may mean uh-huh. the clients they work with. Others, it might be variety and uncertainty, right? They want to know that they be doing something different every single day. Uh-huh. Others, it's connection, right? Make sure I'm part of a team, right? We have a team meeting every single day. We get together, right? Others, autonomy. Leave me alone. Let me do my work. So it, it's knowing what you want, what you need and under what conditions you prosper, Mm. right? You know, looking back and doing the the hard work, whether it's journaling or, you know, um, talking to your peers or, you know, whatever it is to figure out, hey, in these situations, this is when I perform my best, right? Mm -hmm. And if you want to be in that environment, you need to write down the, the top three things that are a must, right? They must have autonomy, right? They must be able to train me. Uh, They must be able to pay me, you know, this money. I must have these days off. So it's, in my uh, opinion, knowing exactly what you want, right? And then finding the firm that can give it to you. Mm -hmm. How do you find out they can give it to you? Um, You're going to talk to them, but you're not going to believe what they tell you. Right. You need to now do your own backdoor reference checks. Right. And find people who have uh, either most preferably worked there and left. Find out, hey, what was it like there? Because once they've left, they'll share with you, maybe, right, what it was really like there. The ones who are still there, you may get some out of them. You also want to talk to the ones who have recently lateraled into the firm. Mm. What brought you there? But you have to be careful about where they come from. It may have been so bad where they came from, they wouldn't (laughs) have taken any job. So again, it comes back down to doing your due diligence, right? Knowing who you are and what you want, and then figuring out if the firm can really give it to you or just taking whatever pays you the most.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I would say, don't be afraid to ask your own questions when you're in these interviews that are geared towards finding out the information you need that are that's important to you for what it is you're looking for. Um, and digging deeper, you know, don't just take them, you know, if you ask about do associates at this level get to do this type of work or, and they just, oh yeah, all the time. Okay, well, can you give me an example? Can you like dig deeper to make them talk to you and be more specific? Because if they can't do that, they're not it's not real. <laughs> so to, to
1: your, what you just said and what you said before about when you were interviewing, you know, they would just give you the resume and you'd ask you a few questions. What can really give the firm a leg up? Have the people doing the interview who are the ones who will be leading them, working with them and yeah. involved with them, right? So they can answer those specific questions and then make sure everyone's giving the same answer. Yeah. Right. Make sure you're all on the same page. Yeah. Right. Um, But yes, you must, as the attorney, ask the questions, uh, because I believe you said this before also, the law firm hiring attorneys are not trained in asking questions, right? So you will have a huge opportunity, right, to Mm -hmm. ask your questions. Uh, If you can't think of any, Google, right, what questions to ask on a law firm interview. You'll find tons of answers. But uh, (laughs) what I would also offer you is if you can't figure out what questions to ask, you may not be in the right profession.
0: Well, and I would say if you can't figure out what questions to ask, you haven't figured out what you really want. Because exactly. the question should be pretty easy to come up with if you know what you want. So that's kind of your starting point. Figure out what you really want and why you want mm-hmm. it. And then, then go forth and start looking yeah. around if that's for you.
1: And the pendulum is way in the corner of the, the talent, right? The attorneys right. Uh, at this way. It'll go back the other way. But right now, they are uh, in control. They have the power.
0: Would you say that money is the deciding factor right now for most, most of those folks who are moving around? So uh,
1: all things being equal, yes. And even sometimes when all things are not equal, yes. Mm. Interesting.
0: If you took the money out, what would you say is the number two factor right now?
1: Autonomy autonomy, right? Uh, You know, um, specifically, yes, generally, but also specifically with, um, you know, uh, work from X, right? Work from home, work from office. They want to be able to decide where they're going to be. Some attorneys want to be in the office all the time. Some attorneys Mm. never want to go there, right? Some attorneys want to be able to pick and choose what days they go in,
0: right?
1: Mm. So I think autonomy in at least right now, you know, uh, work flexibility, the type of work you do, when you do it, how you do it, the type of clients you can bring in. Uh, I think that is the other important piece that I'm seeing right now. But it, it's also so very specific to the person. I know. You, know, you can, uh, you know. you coach people, you can coach five attorneys at the same firm <laughs> in the same practice area, and they're all completely different with completely different beliefs and values and needs and desires and wants.
0: What would you say, so I have one person in mind, and this person is at an Amlaw 100 firm that doesn't pay as well as some of the others, okay? Mm -hmm. But she started at another Amlaw 100 firm that pays crazy good, but virtually no one ever makes partner there. And she decided, okay, I'm going to be here for X number of years, make as much money as I can, but eventually I really would like to make partner. And so when she decided to move, It was specifically to a firm that has a better track record of making their associates partners. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking through this, and they don't pay as well. But what they've been able to do is it's harder for them to find people because they're they're paying well. Let me just be clear, but not as well as a lot Mm -hmm. of the other top firms. But they've been very good, at least this group, about identifying, okay, here's what our pros are. And here's the type of person that generally wants this. And so they have a very good understanding of who they are and the kind of person that fits for them. So that when they go out and market and hire somebody like you to find somebody, they can be very clear. So would you, I would think that a starting point for people who are hiring is to figure that out. Like, what is my culture? What is it that we do well? Who do we want to be? And make sure they're actually living up to those standards. And then reaching out to somebody like you and saying, okay, here's what we're looking for and here's what the pros are. And here are the cons and being honest about it. But here's what the pros are so that you can really attract the right personality fit. Who's looking for that?
1: Absolutely. You need to create an avatar, right? You know, when you're marketing for business, you want to create a client avatar. The attorney wants to create a law firm avatar. The law firm Mm -hmm. wants to create the attorney avatar. And I touched on it before by, you know, knowing exactly what you're looking for. Right. So maybe it's not only uh, the school, number of years of experience, you know, the practice area. Um, you know, maybe there are uh, other f- th- th- things involved that you're looking for. Right. Maybe mm-hmm. the ones who are not looking to build the 2000 hours a year. Right. So, you know, this is who works for us. Right. Look around your office. Right, you know, and you know what's the sum of all parts, right? Who have you attracted in the past? Mm -hmm. Create that avatar and go look for them. Another way is ask your associates and partners, "Hey, who do you know?" That's the quickest, easiest, and cheapest way. Yeah, even with the law firms giving them a bonus, right? They'll give you a bounty for bringing in uh, an attorney.
0: (laughs) And I would. The interesting thing, though, about the avatar thing is, I think very few law firms do this. Right? They just see it as we need somebody, we have a need, let's get a body. And that's such the wrong way to go around doing that. Because a body, like, you're wasting money by bringing the wrong fit in and two or three years later or even less time, them leaving. Like, you're investing. Because we all know we bring somebody new in, there's a lot of time involved, there's a lot of money involved, and it's a complete waste if they don't stay long-term. So... I think it's really important to think about, okay, who are we as a firm? Who are we as a group? And create that avatar so that you can be very specific about who you really want. And maybe you're a little pickier at first and maybe it takes you a little longer, but I would think that it would be so much better from a retention standpoint. Assuming you're very honest about <laughs> who you are and you live up to those standards, right?
1: But who's in charge of that at the law firm? Right. Is it the hiring yeah. partner who's still you know trying to run his own practice and managing the team? Uh, is it h r who is overwhelmed beyond belief with non-recruiting functions, mm-hmm. right? especially during you know, covid? Um, who who owns it? Right? right? You know there is no one, uh, I shouldn't say no one. most firms. there is no one who owns this function, right? And it sort of falls through the cracks. right. when when I you know speak to a firm, and I have my whole needs analysis profile I go through, you know, more than half the time, they won't even spend that much time with me. Right? Why do you need all this? Well, I, I need to know who you want. If I'm going to go spend my time, you know, looking for someone, I want to deliver to you the three people who match that. I don't want to give mm. you 10, right, that, you know, may or may not fit. I want to find the, you know, the two to three that do fit. in right. order to bring you that, I need you to give me the information.
0: So the moral of the story is take that time because it's going to benefit you so much more. You're going to get a better candidate. You're more likely to get a yes from the right candidate, and then you're more likely to retain them.
1: I just uh, read an article, let me see if I can put it right here, about the cost of a a bad hire. Here we go. It was written by the cost of law firm associate turnover. I'll give a plug. He's another recruiter, Stephen Rushing of Lateral Link a competitor, but we'll give him a plug here. It was a good article. So a 2017 NALP update talks about the cost of replacing an associate is between $200,000 and $500,000. This is at the big law firms. It's crazy. Right. You think of the lost hours when the person leaves, right? They're not billing it. Uh, Now all the hours spent trying to fill it. And then Mm -hmm. when they get brought on board, now the ramp up time. Yeah. Right. So that is the uh, the number you're looking at, two to five hundred thousand dollars, depending upon the level of experience that the attorney has, and it could take up to four months to replace that associate. Think of the amount of money you're losing.
0: Crazy. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I think this was a really important conversation, especially given how often I hear this this being an issue from my clients right now. Um, Is there anything else before we let you go that you wanted to add that you didn't get to get to say? Uh, No,
1: I think we covered um, a lot. I could probably talk for five more hours. I like to talk (laughs) and I do talk fast. Uh, You know, I think the communicate, 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 right. The other, you know, two tips I would give uh, for the law firms are you got to move fast and make a decision,
0: right. Mm.
1: Have a set process, you know, do a Zoom interview. If it works, bring them in for a face-to-face. If that works, one more face-to-face and make a decision, right? Because if they're interviewing with you, they're interviewing with two, three, four other firms, right? right? So sometimes speed will overcome compensation. If you can give them mm. a bird in hand, they may take that. So set process, act with speed, and communicate, mm. uh, I think, amongst yourselves to know what you're doing. Uh, and then... Um, with the candidate. So there are no surprises mm-hmm. uh, because once you hire somebody, you hope they are the one that you think they are, right? You, know, right? you know, like we talk about dating profiles, right? You want to make sure they are the other person you think that they are. So communicate, dig deep, ask the questions and then, um, and yeah, give it your best shot. You know, it's not an exact science, but there are specific things you can do to reduce the odds of a bad hire and increase the odds of a good hire.
0: And I think also your, your top tip relates to that whole be prepared, know who you are because you can be much more quick in your process if you're careful and, about uh, thinking through all of that to begin with, right?
1: I can throw one more tip out you if you got yeah. the time. This sure. is my, my Facebook post today. Uh, no, my uh, LinkedIn post today. So when you hire a new attorney – Right, and not necessarily at the lockstep firms. You know, the smaller AMLA 200 firms, the the medium-sized firms, you've now given them a bump in compensation over your current attorneys, right? Mm. So once that happens, let's just say you know the existing attorneys are at 200, you know, for a third-year associate, and you bring in the new one and you're paying them you know 230, right? So while the your current attorneys may not know the specific dollar amount, they sure know that person got more than they did. Uh-huh. right? And when their annual bonuses, right, or the um, annual salary increase is not going to get them there, what is their alternative? Stay knowing they're underpaid compared to this other person of equal experience and skill set, or leave and go someplace else, right? So what You should do is go to your current staff, sit them down and say, you know what, we're giving you a raise, right? Mm. And match that salary, they will love you, um, you will retain them and again that's a great way to you know build loyalty to have that culture and retain your your team because otherwise every time you bring somebody else in new the people who are not at that comp level will leave
0: yeah i mean if you're bringing in people at a higher pay and you're not giving others the same you're going to lose them. And that's just going to cost you more money than that increase would cost. So Correct. it makes no sense right. when you think about it from a but it, business perspective.
1: But people don't think about it, right? The ammo firms, they do on the lockstep, but the medium-sized firms, they're not considering that.
0: Right. right? They
1: just right. get a body in the door, get a body in the door.
0: It's not just about getting bodies in the door, people. <laughs> it's Amen. about getting the right fit that you can retain, that will be a part of your team, that will support you too. And that's not going to happen if you don't bring in the right person, so there's so much more to it. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. I know that my audience is going to get a lot from it. Where can they find you if they want to connect with you?
1: Best place to find me is on LinkedIn, Brian Moskowitz, or my uh, firm website, Kenzak Group. That is K-E-N-Z-A-K group.com. Uh, Ken for my daughter, Mackenzie. Zach for my son, Zachary. <laughs> and uh, there you go.
0: Awesome. You have a Zachary too. My oldest is Zachary.
1: That's a great name.
0: It is. All right. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Heather. Take care.
0: Are you tired of barely squeezing life in thinking, shouldn't there be more to life than this? Do you want to get to the next level, but without losing yourself in the process? Are you ready to start thinking and doing differently so that you can stop doing the same things over and over and over, hoping for a different result? If any of this speaks to you and you're ready to do something about it starting now, book a call with me to find out how I can help go to lifeandlawpodcast.com forward slash free call.